The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Do you feel that you're losing the battle with looking and feeling your best? Stop! Welcome to Body Balance Talk with your host, Lucy Hewitt, and her guest experts. Your body has an outstanding ability to heal itself and stay healthy. It's up to you to get the process started. Now, here is Lucy Hewitt. Welcome to Body Balance Talk. I'm Lucy Hewitt, nutritional therapist. And I'm Madeline Hewitt. And I'm Jeannie Schmidt, PharmD. We'd like to welcome you to our show today on Gluten 101, the ins and outs of modern-day wheat. If you look around you'll notice that wheat appears in the American diet at every meal and snack. Most everyone has a breakfast centered around wheat. Cereal, toast, bagels, muffins, pancakes, French toast, and then at lunch, sandwiches are most common. For snacks, there's beer and pretzels and crackers and dip, hummus and pita bread. And then for dinner, you see pasta, bread and butter, and for dessert, pie and cake and cookies. And those are the obvious places to find wheat. In between the obvious sources of wheat, you'll find other more sneaky sources of wheat woven in. And I'm talking about sauces, soups, frozen foods, maybe croutons or breadcrumbs and dips and dressings. And you'll even find gluten and wheat derivatives in cosmetics that you put on your body. It makes you wonder why that is. You notice you don't see many other foods that appear in the diet as often as wheat. Wheat as a crop is exceeded only by corn, and corn is found in your meals about as often as wheat. Most everyone in the U.S. eats these grains multiple times a day, every single day. And you might be wondering, well, these are good healthy grains. We've been told to eat more healthy grains and more heart-healthy whole grains. So what could be so bad about eating these grains on a regular basis? And that's our topic today. We'll discuss why wheat and gluten cause trouble for your health. And we'll help you unravel the information you've read and heard about gluten being good or bad for your health. Our show next week will help you with the practical aspects of removing gluten and wheat from your diet. The thought of removing wheat from your diet can be daunting. First, wheat-containing foods are most likely your favorite foods, and you can't even see a life without them. Is that true? And second, it looks like there's nothing else left to eat, at least nothing that you would want to eat. Is this hitting home and ringing true for you? If the answer is yes, then give us a call. We'd like to hear your stories about getting wheat out of your diet, whether you're just starting to think about it, or maybe you're somebody who has done this and gotten some great benefits. Call and share your story. Your story can actually help others. So get on the phone and tell us about it. You can reach us at one 866 472 
1-800-273-5791. Let's start the show with a, discuss, a discussion about how wheat and gluten became such a big topic nowadays. Did something change? Gluten must have been around for a long time. Did it cause all this trouble in the past? What's happened here? Well, in ancient times, wheat was nothing like you know it today. In fact, wheat has been expanded to more than 2,500 varieties of wheat. Coming from the original strains of wheat grasses harvested by early mankind. Now, when was that? Well, it was a long time ago. Think way, way, way back to about 8,500 B.C. These people called Natufians harvested a type of wheat called einkorn. I'm just going to spell that. It's E-I-N-K-O-R-N. So einkorn wheat. And that wheat grew wildly in the open plains in the areas that we now know as Syria, Jordan, Israel, Iraq, and Lebanon. And it eventually became an essential part of their diet, reducing their need for hunting and gathering. Now, eventually, wheat shifted from being harvested wildly to being cultivated. And that was the beginning of agriculture, a very, very big turning point for civilization. The wheat originally started out as, as I just mentioned, this wheat called einkorn wheat. Now, this changed and expanded to something called emmer wheat, and that's E-M-M-E-R, so emmer wheat. And then it changed again to something called triticum estivum, and I'm not even going to spell that one. <laughs> it changed gradually over time. Now, the wheat in the 1700s, the 1800s, and up to about 1950 was pretty much all the same wheat. If you saw wheat growing, it would be waving in the wind at about a height of four feet. Now, this all changed in the 1950s when wheat became rapidly hybridized to produce higher yields. Now, that sounds like a perfect business idea, but unfortunately, no one tested the hybridized wheat to see what effects it would have on the human health. So let's back up just a bit and talk briefly about the genetics of the wheat. And I promise we won't get too scientific here, but it's, it's actually very interesting. So we're going to help you to just follow along here. The first wheat, the einkorn, that has the simplest genetic code of all of the wheats. It's a very, very simple wheat. Einkorn wheat has 14 chromosomes. Now, the emmer wheat, that appeared as a result of the einkorn wheat mixing with goat grass. So let's just back up a second. So we had that einkorn wheat for a long, long time. It was growing wildly, and then it mixed naturally with this goat grass, and that made this new wheat called emmer wheat. What's interesting is that it increased the chromosomes to 28. Now, that's a little bit odd because if you think about people, you know, man and a woman, and they, you know, hook up together and then have a child. That child doesn't have double the number of chromosomes as the mother and the father. But here that we see with wheat, when it mixed with this goat grass, it actually came out with a new wheat with double the number of chromosomes. And that's going to be important later on in our, in our discussion here on the radio show. So now this emmer wheat has 28 chromosomes. 
those two wheats, the einkorn and the emmer, they remain popular for several thousands of years. I mean, that's hard for me to imagine actually something for several thousands of years, but it was the same for that long. These wheats don't have the baking characteristics that you're familiar with. They're, you're familiar more with something like cake or donuts or pizza dough that's stretchy and maybe strong, and it rises up with yeast producing this really kind of soft type of texture. Well, these older types of wheats were not like that at all. They're much cruder flowers than what we have today. And at some unknown point in time, but still pre-biblical times, the emmer wheat made naturally with another wild grass, making the 42 chromosome triticum estivum. So here we are, we're doubling that number of chromosomes again. Over time, this newer weight be- the newer wheat became more popular, and it overshadowed the einkorn and the emmer wheats. By the mid-18th century, there were about five different varieties of the triticum category of wheat. Now today, those wheat varieties have been completely replaced with thousands of offspring of the original triticum estivum. The triticum of today results from breeding to generate higher yields, but also it makes the wheat drought resistant, disease resistant, and heat resistant. And this wheat has been changed so much that it now cannot survive by nature in its, by itself. And it must have human assistance with fertilizer and pesticides to grow. Now, this started in the 1940s, and by 1980, these efforts to hybridize the wheat was successful in giving us thousands of new strains of high-yielding wheat. In fact, Norman Borlaug won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1970 and earned the title of the Father of the Green Revolution. Now, Dr. Borlaug was a University of Minnesota-trained geneticist who is credited with developing this high-yielding wheat. This all sounds wonderful, doesn't it? We can now get higher-yield wheat from each field, helping people to feed more people. And then we can see how these people probably had very good intentions. The downside of this flurry of breeding activity was that no one stopped and asked what effect these changes would have on human health. Yes, that's right. And what we see is that about 5% of the proteins now in wheat are novel or new proteins never seen before. What we mean is that when you cross two varieties, you might think you end up with a combination of the parents like Jeannie was talking about. Well, in this case, the wheat ended up with about 5% of the proteins not from either parent. They are entirely new proteins never appearing before in the food supply. And in fact, wheat gluten proteins undergo considerable change when they are hybridized. In one experiment of hybridizing wheat, 14 new gluten proteins were found that did not exist in either parent wheat. And as a result of thousands of new strains of wheat introduced into our diets, we are now experiencing the effects of the introduction of new novel proteins into our diets, which now threaten human health. 
Let's back up a bit and talk about gluten and what it is. If you took a ball of dough, say bread dough, and ran it under the faucet of water, you could wash away the starches in the dough, and you'll also wash away the fiber. You'd be left with a glob of sticky substance, which would be the proteins in the dough, mostly all gluten. The proteins in wheat are mostly in the form of these glutens, but there are actually other proteins in wheat that are not gluten, and we'll discuss those a bit later. Yes, and in this country, wheat is the most common source of gluten. Now, you'll also find gluten in barley, rye, and a few other grains, but these are not commonly eaten in this country, and the overwhelming source of gluten is wheat. So for today's show, we'll keep most of the discussion to the consumption of wheat. Speaking of the gluten in wheat... It's the gluten that makes the dough stretchy and elastic. The modern-day varieties of wheat contain much, much more gluten than ancient wheats. And that's why if you bake with the ancient wheats, your product turns out more crumbly and grainy. It's the difference in gluten content. Even though our modern-day wheat contains more gluten than the ancient wheat, wheat is actually composed mostly of carbohydrate. In fact, about 85 to 90 percent is carbohydrate, and about 10 to 15 percent of wheat is protein. Now, of that 10 to 15 percent that's protein, 80 percent of that protein is in the gluten form of protein. Now, to break it down a little bit further, gluten can be divided into two different groups of gluten. The first one is called the gliadin family of glutens. And this one I'm just going to spell again. Gliadin is G-L-I-A-D-I-N, or gliadin. That's a family of glutens. And this gliadin family of glutens is what triggers the immune response in people with celiac disease, which is an autoimmune response to gluten in the intestine. Now, the gliadin family of glutens have three different subtypes. The alpha-beta gliadin the gamma-gliadin, and an omega-gliadin. Now, the second type of gluten is called a glutenin, G-L-U-T-E-N-I-N-S, glutenins. And these glutenins are very, very large molecules, and they're responsible for making our doughs of today very, very strong. For instance, you'll notice how pizza dough makers can throw that dough around and it doesn't just break off. Well, that's because of the gluten and proteins. They're so strong holding the dough together. This aspect was actually genetically bred into the wheat for this purpose of dough strength. You could not make these strong pizza doughs with the ancient wheats. So that's the gluten proteins in wheat. You need to know that there are other proteins besides gluten and wheat. Those proteins would be in the classes of globulins, albumin, and prolamins, agglutinins, peroxidases, alpha amylases, and even more. And each of those would be broken down further to many, many variations of each. It's actually quite amazing to know that there are over a thousand different proteins in wheat. These proteins were introduced into the wheat to help it survive in the current growing conditions. Now, in addition to these proteins, more proteins, even more proteins, have been introduced by food manufacturers to enhance even more the baking qualities and the food textures of foods that contain wheat. 
So in addition to the celiac problem with the gliadin form of gluten, these non-gluten proteins cause a lot of health problems in people who don't have celiac disease. But they're responding to these non-gluten proteins. Some of these problems would show up as rashes and dermatitis or eczema, and those non-gluten proteins can trigger asthma. In fact, it's not uncommon to see wheat trigger exercise-induced asthma. So, in review, we can see that wheat contains two main types of gluten and also thousands of non-gluten proteins. Both the glutens and the non-gluten proteins can cause trouble for people. So again, ancient wheat contained different types of carbohydrates and different proteins than modern wheat. And as we've already talked about, novel proteins were introduced into the wheat in the 1950s and completely changed the wheat itself. If you tried to make the soft donuts or bread of today with the pre-1950s wheat, they would turn out a crumbly mess, not at all like the soft dough that you're familiar with. And now let's just take a quick look at the carbohydrate content of wheat. Modern wheat contains about 75% of the carbohydrates as something called amylopectin A. Now, amylopectin A is extremely easy to digest, and in fact, it starts digesting right in your mouth with the enzyme amylase as you're chewing the food. It's very, very rapidly digested to glucose. And from there, the glucose is rapidly absorbed into your bloodstream and is responsible for raising your blood sugar faster than most all other carbohydrate foods. Ancient wheats were composed of different carbohydrates that were not so easily digested. Thus, they don't raise your blood sugar as quickly. And now there are other foods that have amylopectins, but it looks like it's time for a break. It's time for a break. Yes, remember, we're taking callers. Call us at 1-866-472-5791. We'll come back soon and we'll, dis- we'll continue our discussion. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Take charge of your fitness and take charge of your healthy life. Listen for Be Fit for Life with your host, Chad Austin. Think back over the past week, the past month, the past years. Are you like a lot of other people? Too busy with the kids, work, travel, social calendars, business calendars, the day, the night, this and that. Make the decision to be healthier. Just do it. Chad Austin has made a living from motivating people to stop excuses and make fitness a priority in their lives. Tune in every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. 
Cancer is not something to be taken lightly. But instead of being talked at by doctors, medical providers, and others, wouldn't it be nice to hear from a host who has worked at the cancer coalface for 38 years as a caregiver, supporter for 14,000 patients, and who has had the experience of having a life-threatening condition herself? You will hear the stories of survivors and other people who work in breakthrough cancer medicine. Navigating the Cancer Maze with host Grace Goller will help you with the facts, planning, and grief experienced with different forms and stages of cancer. Listen every Friday at 12 noon U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Body Balance Talk. To reach Lucy Hewitt or her expert guests, please call into the program today at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send an email to info at mybodybalancenutrition.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Body Balance Talk. I'm Lucy, here with Madeline and Jeannie. Before the break, we were discussing modern versus ancient wheat and the carbohydrate contents found amongst the two. Yes, exactly. And just to back that up even just a little bit further, before that we got to the carbohydrates, we just were classifying the different glutens that are in the modern-day wheat, knowing that we have two major different categories of glutens that do two different things. One of them, they can create that immune reaction and the celiac disease, and the other one is what creates the strength in the dough, like the pizza dough, and allows you to throw that pizza dough around and not have it break. And then we moved in to talking about that most of the wheat is actually made up of carbohydrates and this is going to lead into why this wheat of today creates so many health problems. So I'm going to just go back and explain just a little bit more about this carbohydrate that most of the wheat is a carbohydrate and then out of those carbohydrates actually most of the carbs, 75% of the carbs that wheat has is called amylopectin A and what's so different about it is that it's incredibly easy and fast to digest and I was mentioning that it actually starts digesting right in your mouth with the enzyme amylase as you're chewing up the food it's already being digested and already being absorbed through (laughs) through your mouth it's that fast and so it has this amazing ability to shoot your blood sugar up like that And now, before we move on with more with the wheat, I'm just going to back up about this issue with amylopectins. There are other foods that contain amylopectins as well. It's this modern-day wheat that has amylopectin A that's super fast absorbed. But beans, for instance, contain amylopectin C, which is just another form of carbohydrate. But amylopectin C is not very digestible at all. And you may have experienced eating beans and getting a lot of gas. That's, that's because you're having a hard time dig- to digest those. That's, that's because it's hard to digest amylopectin C. And then you have bananas and potatoes. Well, those have amylopectin B, which is easier to digest than amylopectin C in the beans, but it still has a little bit of trouble getting fully digested. So we can see that starchy foods are different in what type of complex carbohydrates they contain, seeing that some are easy to digest and others are not so easy. 
And that's such a great point because sometimes you just look and see, well, what's the carbohydrate content of sweet potatoes? Or what's the carbohydrate content of the cereal I'm eating? Or carbohydrate content of milk or something else? What Here, what we're telling you is that the carbohydrates are actually broken down into these various amylopectin A, B, and C. And then there's even other carbohydrates on top of that. And that they have, a, they can be quick digested and shoot your blood sugar up or they can be slower digested and not quite shoot your blood sugar quite as high. And the problem that we have with the modern day wheat is that it has so much amylopectin A in it. Now this ancient wheat did not have such a high content. It wasn't absorbed the same way as the modern day wheat. And since it's got this high amylopectin A content, it makes it so fast digesting. It raises your blood sugar as high or even higher than eating plain table sugar. It sounds a little bit odd, but eating two slices of bread, even whole wheat bread, is often worse than eating a candy bar or drinking a can of pop. I talk to people all the time who say, Oh, sugar is not a problem for me at all. What really gets me is the bread. I could never live without bread. That's right. And what they don't often realize is the bread is actually worse, or at the very least, no better than the plain white table sugar. And if you're thinking that whole wheat is better, it's not. Just like what Jeannie mentioned. Well, yes, it has more fiber and more nutrients, but it raises your blood sugar and it also feeds bad bacteria in the same way that white bread does. In fact, it was found that in healthy, not overweight people, two slices of whole white bread raised blood sugar from 93 to 123, which was no different than the white bread. And for diabetics, it raised that blood sugar much, much more. Now, you can actually find some of this ancient wheat because you might be thinking, you know what, why don't I just go and see if I can find ancient wheat and then I can keep eating wheat and it's not going to cause problems for me. Well, this wheat is actually available and you can order it online from various companies. So if you search for einkorn and emmer wheat, that's why I spelled it before so that you can maybe type it in to Google and look it up and find where you can order it. You can choose from either the einkorn corn or the emmer wheats and you could do your own experiment try making a bread product with the ancient wheat so go ahead go online order some of this and see if you can get yourself to make some of this bread with the ancient wheat and then go ahead and make some bread from some modern day wheat okay so you've got the old wheat and you've got the new wheat two loaves of bread sitting right in front of you make it scientific and take your fasting blood sugar before eating the bread and if, you, if you're a diabetic you're used to taking your blood sugar so that would be easy for you you know what to do but if you've never done it before you can actually go to the drugstore and buy yourself a blood sugar kit to measure your own it's just poke your finger get that drop of blood and you can measure it for yourself So you make it scientific. Take your own fasting blood sugar before you eat the bread. So there you get the baseline. And that could be on an empty stomach. So don't do this after you've eaten a big meal. Get yourself with an empty stomach. Take your fasting blood sugar and then eat the bread. But just choose one. So you might choose the old-fashioned wheat first. Wait about 15 to 30 minutes and retake your blood sugar. 
and then write down what it is. If you want to make it more scientific, take it again. Take your blood sugar again about 30 minutes later and create a little bit of a graph and see how much it elevates up for you. Now, then you'll have to wait now until you have another empty stomach. So this might be the next day, and you would do it again with the modern-day wheat. First, take your fasting blood sugar, eat the bread, wait about 15 to 30 minutes, and retake your blood sugar. Now, if you're like others who have tried this, you're going to see a dramatic rise in the blood sugar from the modern-day wheat, but you're going to see a very modest rise, very little rise from the ancient wheat. And now, why do you think this would be? Okay, that's your quiz question for right now. Just sit and think, now, why would the modern-day wheat rise the blood sugar way up like that? Remember the amylopectin A? That's what's in such a high concentration in modern-day wheat. That's what's going to shoot the blood sugar up so fast and so high. Now, you do one on one day and then one bread on a different day. So this test is for people who need to see it for yourself. Wow, that would be so interesting to go through that test. And then if you actually do make these two different types of wheat or these two different types of bread, you will also notice a huge difference in the dough of the ancient wheat product. It won't be as elastic as the like to the current day wheat. So the old-time wheat won't be nearly as elastic, and it will be more coarse and crumbly than the modern-day wheat. And it will also have a pretty different flavor. And what we see from this is that through the extensive hybridization of wheat, the types of the carbohydrates are different, meaning that you now have the rapidly digesting amylopectin A, which spikes your blood sugar more than almost any other food, including white table sugar. And what's wrong with a sugar spike? If you're not diabetic, what does that matter? In a nutshell, those sugar spikes you experience day after day contribute to high insulin levels. High insulin is inflammatory. It inflames your arterial walls and contributes greatly to the development of heart disease. Now, if you're at risk for heart disease, and really, who isn't at risk for heart disease now? Seriously consider removing wheat from your diet in addition to removing sugar. The other issue with chronically elevated insulin is that the insulin is now telling your body to store fat. If you're working on a body fat reduction plan, know that a calorie is not a calorie. Calories from wheat that spike your blood sugar are not the same as calories from proteins and fats that do not spike your blood sugar and create that fat-storing insulin response. And in addition to the blood level spike, which, by the way, lasts about one and a half to two hours, you then get a blood sugar drop. You may have experienced eating a breakfast of wheat cereal or an English muffin, and then two hours or so later, you're looking for something else to eat and maybe feel mental fog or maybe even shaky and a bad mood. You reach for another wheat-containing food, and the cycle happens again. The blood sugar spike then drops, then cravings, then you repeat that cycle. And after repeating the cycle over and over for years, this combination of high glucose and high insulin creates the belly fat that so many people have trouble getting rid of. Now, belly fat is not healthy fat in that it accumulates around your organs. It's called visceral fat, and it sets you up for even more trouble. 
One of the problems with excess belly fat is that this fat secretes estrogens. In men, this contributes to a lowering of testosterone and increased breast size or man boobs. And who wants that? In women, this excess estrogen is not the good estrogen. It's the type that predisposes you to breast cancer. You don't want to count on getting estrogens from excess belly fat. The bigger your belly, the more inflammation you have, setting you up for heart disease and cancer. And speaking of inflammation, this same inflammation caused by the excess belly fat contributes to inflammation in the joints. When you have inflammation, you have an elevation of these inflammation-mediating hormones. And those would be ones called things like tumor necrosis factor, alpha, interleukins, and leptin, which have been shown to erode, erode your joint tissue and cause arthritis. So now we can see that eating wheat contributes to blood sugar dysregulation, leading to excess belly fat, which is inflammatory, and then this leads to joint inflammation and arthritis. We see this often with our clients and even in the people who come to our nutrition series. We've seen many people have their arthritis disappear after removing wheat from their diet. One woman in her 40s said that her whole body hurt, every single joint. She said that arthritis ran in her family, and she thought she had it too, for life. Then she came to our nutrition series and tried taking wheat out of her diet, and she said all of her pain was gone. She said, I don't think I'll ever, or I don't think I've ever even had arthritis this whole time. And since then, her life has dramatically improved, and she was recently offered a big promotion at work, too. That is actually pretty dramatic to hear that, but I I happen to know this woman, and this this is actually a a true story. Now, it's not only those inflammation-mediating hormones that lead to joint pain, but something called glycation adds to the degradation of joint tissue. What is glycation? Uh, Well, remember that wheat raises your blood sugar abnormally high. The more high blood sugar you have, the more glycation you have. And glycation means that the high sugar modifies the proteins in both the bloodstream and in the joints. Now, you know that you have cartilage in your joints, and the cartilage is made of proteins. When this is in contact with the high blood sugar, meaning that your cartilage is in contact with the high blood sugar, those proteins in your cartilage become what's called glycated, and they get abnormally stiff. You don't want to have stiff cartilage. It becomes stiff, and it becomes not only that, but inflexible. The cartilage can eventually start to crumble, leading to pain and swelling of your joints. So let me pose this question. Think about this. What if you decide to opt out of a knee or a hip replacement and instead eliminate wheat from your diet? You know, people often tell us that it's too expensive to eat healthy. Well, I see people all the time become much more productive at work and able to accomplish much, much more when they improve their health through diet and lifestyle. Now, their earning potential actually goes up. 
And not only that, but imagine not paying for all those prescriptions and doctor's visits and even those hospitalizations due to chronic disease. You actually save money in the end. Now, we say you either pay now or you pay later. The great thing about paying now is that you get to have an improved quality of life and you feel so much better. Rather than spending your last 30 or 40 years in pain and brain fog and low energy and low mood and even disability. Speaking about paying now or paying later, what else happens with wheat and gluten consumption besides this sugar spiking insulin raising, belly fat, joint pain, and inflammation. Let's talk about the effect of wheat on your brain. Oh, absolutely. Now, when you eat a piece of toast, you digest the toast in your stomach, and you break it down into the individual components. So, for example, the proteins we talked about earlier get broken down into what's called polypeptides. Interesting. Those specific polypeptides from wheat can penetrate your blood-brain barrier. The blood-brain barrier is a barrier meant to keep certain substances out and away from your brain. Well, these polypeptides from wheat are actually allowed to cross your blood-brain barrier. Once they're in your brain, listen to this, they bind to your morphine receptors and create an opiate effect. Scientists have identified these polypeptides and they call them gluteomorphins, meaning morphine-like compound from gluten. They call these compounds exorphins as opposed to endorphins. You've heard of endorphins. You say, oh, that's like the runner's height. It makes me feel really good. And you know that comes from within your system, so end endorphins. Well, these compounds are called exorphins. They come from outside of your body, and they create a morphine-like effect. Endorphins are what your body naturally makes you feel good. But exorphins, such as these wheat polypeptides, they come from outside of your body. Now, they further define this process, the scientists define this process, by giving people this drug called naloxone to see if you could reverse the opiate effect. And how that works is that naloxone is a drug given to people overdosed on opiates, such as heroin. Naloxone rapidly reverses the heroin effect by replacing heroin on the opiate receptors. Well, they found that they could achieve the same reversal by giving someone naloxone after eating wheat. Now, it looks like it's time for us to move into our second break. What do you think, Lucy? It is, yes. Well, let's come back after the break and we'll continue our really interesting discussion. And remember, we're taking callers. Call us at one 472 Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. How is your health? Do you want to know more about it? Every day there are new technologies, procedures, and healing techniques coming forward. To understand them, tune in to Speaking of Health with Dr. Michael Cudlis. Our guests come from different backgrounds in the fields of health and healing. We'll discuss new realities and modalities, from chiropractic to metagenics. It's all designed to improve your quality of life. 
Speaking of Health is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Ready for in-your-face, smash-mouth talk? Want to talk about the topics that nobody else is willing to talk about? Either because they're too scared to touch them or just don't think it's the way to go? You're not going to be shy here. Tune into Anything Goes featuring Ike Mega Griffin. He's got the facts to back up the talk and invites you to join him every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time, just before the weekend on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Mega tells it like it is. Make the most of your beautiful life. Listen to Ageless Living with Dr. Tong Lee and co-host Kurt Wilhelm to gain tips on how to live healthier and happier, alleviate suffering, prevent disease, become more beautiful in body, mind, and fashion, and find peace, balance, and success in your life. Are you aware that every 3,500 calories that you eat above what you burn will put a pound of fat on your body? And running one mile only burns 200 calories? So portion size does matter. And migraines do have a cure. What is it? You'll have to tune in Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Body Balance Talk. To reach Lucy Hewitt or her expert guests, please call into the program today at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send an email to info at mybodybalancenutrition.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Body Balance Talk. I'm Lucy here with Madeline and Jeannie. Before the break, we were discussing wheat and gluteomorphins. Jeannie, let's continue. Oh, absolutely. And I just wanted to say that I just really hope everyone out there is as excited about this topic as we are. I mean, I'm just going to speak for myself. I just find this absolutely fascinating that a food such as wheat can have so many effects on people's bodies. And what we were talking about before the break is that this drug called naloxone, which is a drug that's really used, it's used in clinics and hospitals for when people have overdosed on opiates such as heroin or morphine, and when they give this drug to, to those people, it reverses the effect of the heroin overdose. And so what they tried doing is someone would eat some wheat, and what we've just learned is those gluteomorphins from the wheat, they go and bind, they cross your blood-brain barrier, and they bind into these brain receptors, and they create this kind of a mild euphoria in your brain. And so what these researchers did is they thought, I wonder if we can just reverse this effect by giving this person naloxone. So they did. They give the naloxone and voila, it actually reversed the effect of the gluteomorphins. And so, you know, when people are, are so panicked about giving up wheat, there's a reason why you're panicked because it creates an addiction to you. You love that feeling. And what you find is that when you eat wheat, it's like a form of reward. It's a mild euphoria. And you get an unpleasant withdrawal when you don't have the sweet, either by not eating it anymore or if you happen to be given the drug naloxone. But now what's important to note is that these exorphins or these gluteomorphins are the breakdown products of gluten. So you want to understand that this is not 
gluten that's doing it. It's that you eat the gluten, it gets broken down, and it's turned into these gluteomorphins. This is important because if you try to measure gluten sensitivity by measuring your immune response to gluten, you actually miss the important part of the problem, which is the breakdown product of the gluten, meaning the wheat polypeptides. And these are almost never considered in the diagnosis of a wheat or gluten problem. Oh, you know, it looks like we actually have a caller on the line. Do you want to go ahead and take her? Oh, absolutely. All right, Arabeth, what can we do for you today? Well, I was listening to the program, and I know I've been trying to give up bread and things, and I noticed that I want it more. And do you notice that you want it more when you don't have it? That's right, because it's everywhere. Cookies, bread, salt, bread. Uh-huh. And do you find that when you are working on getting the gluten out of your diet or wheat out of your diet, um, that do you have any sort of physical symptoms? When, when I'm not eating it? Yeah. I feel wonderful. Oh, you feel good when you don't have it. Great. Oh, okay. So you're not having trouble with, with like physical withdrawal. You're having trouble because every time you turn around, there's these wheat products. There's wheat that- products, and I think of how it, how I remember it tasting, and then I will eat it, and I feel horrible, and I always promise myself not to eat it again, but I do. Uh huh. Okay, you know, this is a super common problem and we experience this all the time with clients that we work with. And so the first thing I'm going to tell you is you're not alone and that's actually a very, very normal reaction. And we're not going to get into all the specifics of that on today's radio show, but you know what? Next week at the same time, we're going to be talking about this exact thing, about right. how do you even manage this from day to day and what do you do at restaurants and grocery stores and at holidays and parties and maybe your kids or husband or wife at home and they've got it all around you. We're going to talk about that in the whole next show, but I'm just going to give you a tip, Arabeth, that you can use through this week for you. And um, we suggest you start making these thin mats. And do you know what those are? Oh, I love them. Okay, we would suggest at least just to get started, to give you something to start on so you're not just hanging there this week. Get started by making those, and we really suggest you just start in eating those. Is that something you think you could do? I I think I can do that, but I'll um, be sure to tune in next week to see how I'm going to really kick this habit. Yeah, absolutely, and we'd love to even hear from you next week to hear how it's going. Well, thank you very much. And thanks so much for your call. Yeah, thanks, Arabeth. Well, that's that's just a very common common reaction that people have when they work to get gluten out. So be sure everybody to tune in next week, and we'll address that. Now, before we took the call from Arabeth, we were just talking about these gluteomorphins attaching to your brain receptors, and. The, one of the problems is that once you have those gluteomorphines attached, it makes you want to eat more and more and more. And so that means that modern-day wheat lands the same classification as alcohol, sugar, drugs and of, of abuse, and alcohol. 
in terms of their ability to alter your brain chemistry and create addictions. And you notice people go back for it again and again, such as what Arabeth was saying. She actually feels physically good, but she goes out and sees these, these wheat products here and sees them here and, here and sees them here. And what's happening is this remembering about how good it made you feel. And so you just end up wanting it again and again and again. Well, hopefully you can start to see why wheat-containing foods are so appealing to people and why it can cause panic to think about removing these foods from your diet. So what about withdrawal? Well, well researchers have found that about 30% of people will experience withdrawal after removing wheat from their diet. Symptoms could be extreme brain fog or low energy, irritability, and depression. And it can be very difficult to go to work and be productive. These, these feelings or even depression can last for weeks. Now what we've found is that people who supplement with targeted amino acid therapy go through this process much better. Now even without symptoms at all, if you start the amino acids before eliminating the wheat, you'll go through this process much better. The key is to feel is to fill those brain receptors with feel-good neurotransmitters. The neurotransmitters come from having the right amino acids available. Now, we've talked a lot about gut health in previous shows. Your neurotransmitters are made mostly in the gut. You'll need to work on good gut health to make those neurotransmitters that travel to your brain and make you feel good. Good gut health, along with targeted amino acid therapy, will help you remove wheat and gluten without getting overloaded with the unpleasant withdrawal symptoms. And now it's not only these gluteomorphins that cause trouble in your brain. Uh-oh, there's actually more. Wheat can actually have an effect directly on your brain tissue itself, meaning the cerebrum and the cerebellum, amongst others, leading to incoordination, incontinence, seizures, and maybe even dementia. And unfortunately, these problems are not entirely reversible when you remove wheat. Cerebellar ataxia is one of these problems. Cerebellar ataxia can be seen in someone who has trouble walking or moving in space, a person losing control over balance and coordination. Cerebellar ataxia can progress into other symptoms of muscle twitching and involuntary jerking of the arms or the legs. And when someone is diagnosed with cerebellar ataxia, they're usually told that it's idiopathic, meaning that there's no known cause. Now, you might think these are 90 or 100-year-olds, but no, it's often noticed starting in people at around age 48 to 53 years old, and it progressively gets worse. So what's happening here? Well, remember the two types of gluten, the gliadin and the glutenin. Remember those. It's the gliadin type of gluten that causes the immune response in people with celiac disease. Well, here we see that the reaction to gliadin results in your body making something called anti-gliadin antibody that attacks your brain cells. In fact, this antibody attaches to a special type of cell in your cerebellum called the Purkinje cell, creating a direct immune attack on your brain cells. And unfortunately, and this is not the very happy part, once it binds and creates this effect, it is not reversible. 
Now, with celiac disease, those people have the same immune attack on the cells of the intestine. This same immune response and attack can be seen in the brain. Most all people who have cerebellar ataxia triggered by wheat have no gastrointestinal symptoms at all. So we can see that the gliadins can attack the gut, they can attack your brain, or they can attack both. Not only the brain and gut, but we also see the breakdown of the gliadins that they can affect your skin. You can get the same autoimmune response happening in your hair follicles and oil glands of your skin. This can result in hair loss. Now, hair loss also happens for a variety of other reasons. However, add in this gliadin reaction and the hair loss accelerates. The most common skin reaction seen would be acne. In fact, acne is often caused because of the high sugar, high insulin effect of a diet high in wheat and sugar. When insulin levels are reduced and the diet is changed to avoid these sugar spikes, acne improves or it all out disappears. People with diabetes are more prone to acne. When these conditions are reversed and the insulin level reduces, the acne clears up. It's the insulin that stimulates the production of sebum or oil in the skin. And the insulin also stimulates skin tissue growth, leading to the skin breakouts. In addition to wheat, dairy also plays a huge role in the development of acne. The proteins in the dairy can also cause the same reaction. For acne, removal of both dairy and gluten and sugar should be the first line of treatment. And another common wheat reaction is skin rashes. If you remove wheat from your diet, you could see improvements within a week, but sometimes these rashes take longer to resolve. Mm -hmm. And the point is that if you're experiencing skin problems, consider wheat and dairy and sugar as the culprit and give it a try by taking those foods out of your diet. You can be sure that if you're experiencing skin reactions from wheat, your body inside is also responding in the same way, most likely unknown to you at the time. Well, what about aging in general? Can wheat affect that? I'm sure everyone is aware that people age at different rates. What about you? Do you think you're aging faster or slower than you think it, you should be? Do people think that you're younger or older than you really are? Well, aging can be attributed to many factors such as oxidation and genetics. Remember our discussion before about glycation? Glycation, remember, that's the process of sugar and proteins combining to create an end product. This gives us a term called advanced glycation end products, or AGE, or age. Ages make your arteries stiff, they cloud the lenses of your eyes, and they create dementia by harming the nerve connections in your brain. Now, older people have lots of ages or advanced glycation end products, and they can be found. You can actually see them. They're in the eyes, the liver, the end kidneys, and really everywhere. And there's no known good use for these ages, only destruction of tissues. So we can see that wheat, even if it's whole grain and organic, makes you age faster. It accelerates the rate that you develop wrinkles and skin aging, kidney problems, dementia, heart disease, and arthritis. 
So it's time to just wrap up our show today. We learned that there's numerous reasons why modern-day wheat is causing trouble for people. We've got the high blood sugar issue and the high insulin issue that's creating belly fat. It's creating obesity. It's creating the estrogen problem in men and in women. It's creating the inflammation that can lead to arthritis and to heart disease. And we've learned that some of these proteins can go right through the blood-brain barrier and they can attach onto your blood or into your brain cells and create problems of addiction to the wheat making you want to eat it over and over and it can also create problems such as dementia so it's just many 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 different factors including skin problems with the wheat acne and just numerous problems and so we hope that you join us next week for our show where we talk about the practical aspects of taking wheat out of your diet so Lucy. Be sure to visit the blog between now and next week. Visit it at mybodybalancenutrition.com and get lots more information on these topics. We even have videos to help you implement the recipes and ideas. Now, I'm Lucy along with Madeline and Jeannie, and that's our show. Thanks again for tuning in this week. Join Lucy Hewitt for another edition of Body Balance Talk next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, listen to yourself and make it a healthy life ahead.